There's a song I used to sing when I was a little boy growing up in church. It went like this every day with Jesus. It's sweeter than the day before. I love that song, just such a great melody, but I never took the time to think about what I was singing. I do now, and now I wonder, are the words really true? Every day? Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I mean, the song makes it seem like life with Jesus is pretty simple and easy, that life with Jesus just gets better and better all the time. And yet you know, and I know, that's not always true. Our life with the Lord is a little more complicated than that. You know, some days are definitely, some days with Jesus are definitely sweeter than the days before. But there are other days with Jesus when, let's be honest, things are kind of dull and boring. There's no miracles, there's no fireworks, there's no dramatic answers to prayer. It's just another plain, average day of walking with Jesus. And then there are some days with Jesus where life feels more like a nightmare than a dream come true. Now before you accuse me of blasphemy, I want you to hear me out. And I want you to think this through with me today. You see, this morning we're going to be looking at a scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And in these three verses, there's only two commands, two imperatives. Everything else in the three verses just kind of revolves around and helps to explain how we're supposed to respond to those two commands. The first command is found in the latter part of verse 1, where the Bible just basically says, run the race. God has a life marked out for you, and God has a life marked out for me. There's a race that he wants us to run. And the word that God uses here to describe that race, it's a Greek word, agona. We get our English word, agony. From this. I mean, right, right up front. God just being right up front. He's just being honest and saying, I want you to understand this race. I want you to run. It's not going to be easy to stay in this race, to finish this race. You're going to have, there are going to be times you have to endure. You have to persevere. There's going to be days when it requires lots and lots of effort. There's going to be a lot of sweat and agony along the way. This race is going to be filled with all kinds of challenges. But think about that. Isn't it true that our whole life has been a series of challenges? I mean, when you were born, how did you enter the world? You came through an experience called labor. <laughs> there was a lot of crying and screaming and pain. I mean, just trying to get you into this world was a very difficult and messy process. And then for a number of months, you were allowed to stay in this nice, safe crib. But then one day, your parents came along, and they pulled you out, and they challenged you to learn how to walk. Well, you talk about something awkward and humiliating. Even though you gave it your best, you just kept falling down again and again. And yet, because mom and dad wanted you to grow and develop, because they knew you couldn't spend the rest of your life just crawling around on your hands and knees, they wouldn't let you quit. They kept pushing, try it again. And then when you finally got that walking thing down pat, they kept putting other challenges out in front of you. They encouraged you to try out for the team, knowing that you might not make the cut. They encouraged you to step up to the plate, knowing that you might strike out. They sent you off to school, knowing that once you got there, you were going to be tested, and tested not just in the classroom, but tested out in the playground, too. As Christian parents, they encouraged you to learn how to pray. Pray out loud. Pray in public. Even though they knew the first couple of times you did that, you kind of fumble for words, and you feel kind of silly. They encouraged you to go out and develop relationships with other people, knowing that some of the people out there are not going to be very nice. They're not going to like you, and as a result, your heart was going to get broken. When you reach your teenage years, they encourage you to, to go out and get a job, knowing that sometimes you're going to have to work for a quirky kind of boss. And then there came that moment in time when they basically told you to get out of the house, time to leave home, go 
go out and start a career, go out and go to college, go out and join the military. And they knew as they pushed you out of the nest that you were going to get homesick. This was not going to be an easy experience for you. They encouraged you to get married, knowing that when you stood that day before the church and you made those vows, for better, for worse, that sometimes there's going to be a lot more of the worse in that relationship instead of the better. Isn't it true? Time after time, mom and dad were just always pushing you to try something new and different. And why? Because they knew you're not going to grow unless you're willing to take on a challenge. But if you're willing to work your way through that challenge, what happens? You become bigger, stronger, smarter, braver, more humble, more mature. You know, look back over your life. And again, isn't this true? You look back over your life. Isn't it true that some of the hardest things you ever had to learn to do turned out to be some of the most rewarding experiences of your life? Learning how to swim, learning how to ride a bike, learning how to speak a foreign language, learning how to drive a car. None of those things were easy at first, but aren't you glad that there was somebody there pushing you to do it anyway? You remember your first date? Remember your first day on the new job? You remember that first time you decided to launch out and try that new and start this new business? Do you remember how nervous and scared you were? And yet instead of shrinking back, you pushed yourself to do it, and suddenly that nerve-wracking challenge became one of the most fulfilling experiences of your life. Well, God knows that. God wanted Abraham to be a blessing to the world, but in order for that dream to come true, that meant he had to leave home and travel 600 miles to a place he'd never heard of before. That wasn't easy. God wanted Joseph to become the prime minister of Egypt and help save the world from a terrible famine, but in order for him to get ready for that destiny, that meant, first of all, God had to send him to a pit and then send him to a prison. God allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, be, Abednego to be thrown into a fiery furnace, and God allowed Daniel to be cast into a lion's den. And yet on both occasions, because of both of those experiences, not only did Daniel and his three friends end up drawing closer to the Lord, through those experiences, they helped other people draw closer to the Lord too. You read Hebrews chapter 11 and see what it means. I mean, really means to trust God. It means building an ark, knowing that the whole world's going to be laughing at you as you try to build that boat. It means laying your son on an altar, it means facing a giant by the name of Goliath. It means leaving the palace of Pharaoh and spending the next 40 years of your life leading a group of whining, complaining Israelites across the desert. Or you check out the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27, and in that particular set of circumstances, what did it mean for him to trust God? It meant he was going to be shipwrecked and then bitten by a poisonous snake. And all of this just so he could meet a man by the name of Plubius here in the tiny idol of Malta and help lead that man to the Lord. Life with God has never been easy. It is always a challenge. And so the writer of Hebrews says here in chapter 1, run the race that God has marked out for you. Now, <laughs> I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a lot of heart here. I mean, it almost seems like the writer of Hebrews is talking to us like a football coach. Hey, grow up. Life's tough, so just deal with it. Get a grip. Move on. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Be a man. Play ball. Well... <laughs> a little more to it than that. You need to appreciate that there is no one who better understands how tough life can be than God himself. So all along the way, he offers all kinds of help and support. And that's what I want you to see. Today, as we work our way through these three verses, I want you to notice all the encouragement that God is offering so that we can run the race and run that race Notice the first piece of encouragement. Verse 1 says, therefore, literally it means consequently, in light of everything we just learned from Hebrews chapter 11. Consequently, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, meaning we're not the first ones to have to run the race. Many, have, many other people have run the race before, and by their own example, they show us it can be done. 
So that challenge is lying before you right now? It's not impossible. The God who saw them through is the same God who's going to see us through. Now, you may not think so. You may think to yourself, hey, David, I've read Hebrews chapter 11. I've seen some of those men and women of faith. What remarkable faith they had in God. I'm not sure I could ever learn to trust God like that. Yes, you can. You take the time and you go back to the Old, the Old Testament and you read every one of their stories. And you'll see none of them had it figured out. They had all kinds of doubts and fears. They failed many, many times. Every one of those men and women had all kinds of flaws and all kinds of issues. It's just that in every one of those stories, at their very weakest moment, they just simply learn how to surrender to God. And if they can do it, we can do it too. In fact, you do this all the time. Think about it. When you step onto a train or you step into a subway, what are you doing? You are surrendering. When you step on that train and the door is closed, now your movement, your direction is not determined by you. It's determined by something else. It's determined by the power of that train. When you step onto the train, you are surrendering yourself to a power greater than yourself. When you get on board a plane, that airplane takes you to places that you could never reach on your own. I mean, in a matter of hours, because of the airplane, you could find yourself on the other side of the world. And how did you get there? Because you got on board the train. You surrendered yourself to a force, a power greater than yourself. When you hop into a taxi cab, when you step onto an elevator, when you sit down on a bus, you're surrendering. You're allowing something else to move you, help you, bring you to a place that'd be hard for you to reach on your own. And every single day of your life, you're going through all these elements of surrender. Well, if you can do that, then just like the people of the past, our ancestors in the faith, you can learn how to surrender to God too. See, you may not think so, but the truth is because of God, we can run the race. Here's another piece of encouragement. Middle part of verse 1, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders. And here it's talking about there's a lot of good things in our life. But many times those good things get in the way of the best. So even though it's not bad, it's something good, but it keeps you away from that which is better. There's times you've got to learn to throw off anything that distracts, that keeps you from the very best that God wants for your life. So let's throw off everything that hinders. And then it says throw off every sin that that trips us up and so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Now notice the repetition of that expression. Let us. You're not supposed to be running this race by yourself. I've heard a rumor that Bono, the lead singer for that famous band U2, he has nights when he just doesn't have the voice to hit the high notes. But they don't cancel the concert, and they don't take those difficult songs off the playlist. They go ahead and play the songs anyway. But here's what Bono will do. When they get to those moments and he doesn't have the voice that night and the high notes are coming, he will step off the stage and move out into the crowd and he will turn the mic to the audience, inviting all his friends to sing along with him. On the nights when he doesn't have the voice to sing, he just leans on the fans. He leans on his crowd of supporters to help him out. We need to learn how to do the same thing as Christians. You remember Mark chapter 2? Four men are carrying a mat because their friend is paralyzed. He can't move. There's no way he'll get to Jesus by himself. But his friends can bring him there. But boy, the challenge, the extraordinary challenge. I mean, who knows how far they had to carry him through the streets that day. And when they finally get to the place where Jesus is, the house, the, the place is just packed with people. The doorway is blocked. How are we ever going to get into the Lord? But they don't shrink back. They don't get discouraged. Even though it requires lots and lots of effort, they lift him up, mat and all, and they put him there on top of the roof, and they dig a huge hole in the roof, and then they carefully lower the man down there at the feet of Jesus. And you remember what the Bible says at that point? And Jesus seeing their faith. Whose faith? Not the faith of the man on the mat, 
the faith of his friends, it was because of them that he was put in a place where he could now be healed. How many times has that been your testimony and mine? How many times has our, have our lives been blessed, not because we were strong, but because other people were strong in our behalf, strong in their prayers for us, strong in their witness to us, strong and in inspiring in their example to us. You cannot run the race alone. You've got to every day be deeply, vitally, vitally connected to a, a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ because many days it's not going to be your faith that keeps you going. It'll be their faith that keeps you moving forward. Consider another piece of encouragement. Skip down to verse 3. There are only two commands in the whole paragraph, two imperatives, and here's the second one. The first one was run the race. Here's the second command, consider him. It means consider Jesus, and that word consider, it means you check him out from every possible angle. You study and learn and come to know everything there is to know about Jesus, and why? Because he's the one we're surrendering to. He's the one who makes running this race worthwhile. I love how back in Bible times, back there in that first century world, the Jewish people, they had this holy habit where at different seasons of the year, they'd travel from all different points of the globe and come back to the city of Jerusalem to be there at the temple so they could worship God. But when they got back to Jerusalem, the Jewish rabbis would tell them, hey, you want this moment to be a blessing? Then here's what you need to do. Before you even step into that building, you take your shoes off, you drop the staff, take off the money bag, remove it from the waist. You set aside every possible distraction so now it becomes clear to you and everybody else around you, I've only got one thing on my mind today. I'm not here to engage in any other kind of business. I am simply here to worship the Lord. I want to focus upon Him. You remember how Jesus gave similar kind of instructions? Luke chapter 9 and verse 3, He was sending His 12 disciples out on a mission trip. And you remember the, the directions He gave to them? Take no staff, no bag, no money of any kind. You're not even allowed to bring along an extra shirt. Because when you get out to those various towns where you're going to serve and minister to the people, you let those people handle those arrangements. You let them attend to those matters. I want your mind on one thing and one thing alone. You're on this mission trip to serve the Lord. Well, that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. Verse 2, he says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. And that word fix literally means you turn away from everything else and you just focus on him. And why? Well, the middle part of that verse says because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. It's talking about the cross and the resurrection. At the cross, we see what God has invested in us. The Lord laid down his life. He shed his blood on our behalf. He is committed to seeing this thing through. And then it's at the resurrection that he proves that he's more than able to see this thing through. So he started and finished the race so that we could be saved. And with that kind of backing and that kind of support, how can you not live the life that God has marked out? I think one of the most misquoted verses that you're never going to find in the Bible, <laughs> and yet you hear Christian people say this all the time, God will never give you more than what you can handle. That's not so. Again, think about this. Poverty, war, holocaust, genocide. You can go on and on with this. Less people all the time are given way more than what they can handle. Now, the Bible does say, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that no temptation will come your way, but what God will provide a way of escape. He'll give you a way out. But that's talking about temptation, not adversity. See, the one thing that's certain about your life and mine is this. One day, we're going to die. And that's something that we definitely cannot handle. But God can. 
See, the main promise in the Bible is this. You will never find yourself in a situation that God can't handle. Not even death is going to put you beyond the reach of his amazing grace. But the catch is this. In every one of those situations, will you really open up and just surrender yourself to him so he can display that grace in your life? Let me show you something. I've got an acorn. This just amazes me, this little nut. (laughs) The amazing thing about this little nut is what's hidden inside. Hidden inside this little nut is all the data, all the ingredients necessary to produce a giant tree. I mean, a tree so huge it'll have dozens and dozens of branches and thousands and thousands of leaves and it'll end up producing tons of hard wood and and a whole galaxy of roots. All that hidden inside this little nut, a nut so small you could fit it inside the mouth of a squirrel. But how does this little seed grow into that giant tree? Well, it doesn't happen all at once, one day at a time, over a long period of time. Each day, it's got to soak in lots and lots of water and lots and lots of sunlight and lots and lots of soil. But as it continues to do that each and every day, eventually, one day at a time, over a long period of time, the little acorn grows into a mighty oak tree. Is that not what happens in your life and mine? Think of the potential God's put in your life and mine, what he would like to be able to produce, what he would like to be able to bring out. But how exactly does he bring out? Well, each day... Each day you've got to soak in lots and lots of encouragement and lots and lots of prayers from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And each day you've got to soak in lots and lots of grace and lots and lots of truth as you intentionally spend time with Jesus. But one day at a time, over a long period of time, who knows what God might produce through your life and mine. But again, here's the catch. It'll only happen as each day you just willingly and eagerly surrender yourself to him will you live the life will you run the race that God has marked out for you let's pray God my prayer today for every one of us is I want us to to know and experience the joy of surrendering to you I want us to see and realize we can't do life by ourselves. We just can't. We were made to rely upon you. So God, today, would you encourage us? Encourage each one of us just to yield ourselves to your strength, your wisdom, and your grace. And today, God, let us experience the joy of just allowing you to have your way in our lives. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were going to paint a room, what's the first thing you do? Well, before you even open up the paint can, you first of all pull out the tape because not everything on that wall is going to be painted. So you take the tape and you cover the light switch and the edge of the ceiling and the floorboards. The paint only goes where the tape is not. God would love to be able to cover your whole life and my life with his grace, but his grace will only go where the tape is not. If you really want God to bless your life, to pour out his favor upon you, that means you've got to begin to open up. You've got to begin to uncover. You've got to begin to just surrender every aspect of your life to him. Well, here's the perfect moment to do that to do this, this time of communion, this moment when we eat the bread and drink the cup. We're not just honoring Jesus as our savior. We're also here to honor him as Lord. And Jesus 
I want you to be Lord of all of me. Today, to help us just really fix our eyes upon Jesus, to just focus upon him, let's stand and sing this song of praise to him.